With just a few working days left on the congressional calendar, the fiscal year is likely to end with a continuing resolution, so now is the time for contractors and agencies alike to start preparing for it. For some advice, Federal News Network's Tom Temin spoke to the Executive Vice President for Policy at the Professional Services Council, Stephanie Castro. Let's start with the idea of the CR, so much going on in the world, but a continuing resolution is striking close to home. All right, what should contractors do at this point? So I think the only silver lining in this whole situation regarding the, the fiscal year coming to an end without any full year appropriations in sight is that we've been to this rodeo before. We've seen what happens what, uh, when we get to the end of the fiscal year without a full year appropriation. Hopefully, congressional staffs are, are working on a continuing resolution. The one issue that I, I often have with uh, situations like these is that contracting officers and, and the agencies themselves often don't want to talk about what goes into a CR, don't want to think about what happens if you don't get a CR, and that is a shutdown. We've experienced several of those over the last 10 years. And our advice uh, from the Professional Services Council is to advise our member companies go ahead and prepare for a shutdown. There's a checklist that we have on our website for our members. Um, it, it includes things like reaching out to the contracting officer representatives and the contracting officers, seeing uh, you know what it is that they can do in terms of timelines for deliverables, timelines for invoicing, what happens in a shutdown. The problem that we face is that a lot of our, our companies are dealing with, with uh, cores and KOs, as we call them, or, or contracting officer representatives and, and contracting officers who don't want to admit that a shutdown may be in the offing. And so that is where we, we run into some hiccups. But we are advising folks to plan uh, for CR, plan for the possibility, although low, of a shutdown because the consequences of a shutdown are high. Of course, in theory, no new program can start under a continuing resolution. So, And it's probably too late for anything new to get underway in this fiscal year, given that there's only a few weeks left. So basically, you've got to live on those annuities for that period of time, which could be days, could be weeks. We've seen it go an entire year in years past. That's true. And, and and you have to, as a company, be very careful on how you you budget and how you approach things like a shutdown and a CR because of, of exactly what you're talking about. The other issue that is facing us right now in light of all of the recent storms, whether it's a hurricane, tornado, flooding, or what happened in Afghanistan recently and is continuing to go on with refugee resettlement is that we're looking at the possibility of a supplemental appropriation to address the billions of dollars that will be needed for whether it's weather-related relief or refugee resettlement uh, relief. And that's going to be a big ticket item as well. I guess you could call that the Worldwide Contingency Fund because it includes the United States and overseas. And Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about Afghanistan for a moment, because there are many contractors that were evacuated, Americans that worked for contractors there, and that leaves behind many Afghans that worked for contractors. And what's the situation from your standpoint? So I come at it from having been a contractor myself in Iraq. I worked directly for the State Department for over a year there. Um, my husband has deployed as, a, as an Army reservist, and so it really is heartbreaking and heart-wrenching uh, to see the situation that a lot of our Afghan allies are in, many of them, and you'll and you've heard the president talk about hundred over a hundred thousand folks were evacuated in two weeks, and and that's a great number, but it doesn't talk about the numbers that are still on the ground. Our Afghan allies who are somewhere in the visa application process, whether that's for a special immigrant visa or whether that's for a P two refugee asylum seeker. Um, I, I think at the end of the day. You know, when you look at the, the folks that we have in Afghanistan, 
they've got some horrible stories to tell. We at PSC get emails from Afghans who are reaching out saying, you know, we can't access the airport. Um, the Taliban has knocked on our door two or three times. We haven't answered, but at some point they're going to start stop knocking and they're going to start entering. And what do we do in that case? And those are frankly emails that, that keep us all up at night because it is a very human story and human emotion that is created with that. Our companies have done everything that they could to provide uh, letters of recommendation, uh, validation that uh, folks who have worked with them as, you know, as subcontractors or as contractor employees to make them eligible for some of these visa programs. Um, but there's still a lot of work to be done. We're speaking with Stephanie Castro. She is Executive Vice President for Policy at the Professional Services Council. And yes, they might be getting letters of recommendation and say these people are okay and should be allowed to come here, but the people have to go through the Taliban to get out of there. And getting the letters of recommendation and the and the validation that they worked, you know, provided valuable and faithful service, that's one step of this process. There's a lot of U.S. government workers who are working day and night to, to facilitate and to process these visa applications, but you're looking tens of thousands, over 100,000 visa applications um, and unless State Department and others get the resources that they need, this is going to be a very slow process. Where's Atros Perot when you really need them? And while we have you, let's talk about the COVID vaccine questions. I mean, the agencies are still struggling with what to do with their own employees and what the specific policies will be. What's going on with respect to contractors at this point? As you'll recall, there was a, a directive coming out of the White House that talked about folks either having to attest that they've been vaccinated or they could reply, no, I haven't been, or I declined to answer. And that puts them into a testing regime. The The idea when this first rolled out a while ago, a few weeks ago, was that it would apply to federal employees as well as federal contractors. The guidance that we've seen coming out of agencies is mostly regarding the civil servants and the civilian employees who, who work, as well as the military personnel. We are still seeking additional information about contractors, some of whom work on site, some of whom have to visit. The question becomes, we've got some memos that are coming from agencies that are not on letterhead and not signed. Some are on letterhead, but not signed. Some are both signed and on letterhead. It's all very confusing. And all of the agencies are, are taking their own uh, tack on this. I would say that we are still waiting on some of the significantly large agencies to come out with their guidance. The attestation piece is actually the easier piece. It is, you know, there's a form, do you fill it out? Who do you show it to to gain entrance? Is it the Federal Protective Service? Is it, you know, the DOD, the, the Pentagon Federal Police Agency or Force Protection Agency, I should say. The harder part is the testing part. If you decline to answer or say, no, I'm not vaccinated, what does that do in terms of what test is acceptable? Can you run to your local drugstore pharmacy and pick up a rapid test and, and administer it yourself? Do you need a doctor to administer it? Um, is it good for 48 or 72 hours? Uh, there are a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. And so we at PSC are forwarding a lot of our ideas for consideration or issues for consideration to the different agencies, and hopefully we'll get responses. Yeah, I wish we had some good news around here. It is nearly the 9-11 anniversary, the 20th year. I guess that makes it a big one. And contractors really changed their direction quite drastically in the aftermath of that event. And in some ways, we're still living with the changes it wrought. Yeah, I think anyone who can remember September 11, 2001, can recall how seminal that event was in the terms of the hearts and minds of the American people. That includes, you know, government employees, which I was at the time at the Pentagon, um, or, you know, the contracting workforce. And 
we, we like to remind folks that, you know, the wars have been fought on all fronts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and elsewhere. And while we've had more than 7,000 service members, unfortunately, killed in action in these, in these far off locations, um, we've also had over 8,000 or around 8,000 contractors killed. And it is one of those things where contractors making the ultimate sacrifice often gets lost in the shuffle of, of you know, the headlines and whatnot. And, and those sacrifices are real. Those are folks who are not coming home from Iraq, Afghanistan, and elsewhere, and, and their memory deserves to be honored. In addition, the U.S. government has undergone several bureaucratic changes. We, you know, we all remember sort of the the stand-up of the Department of Homeland Security. Some of the intelligence agencies have been reshuffled and, and reprioritized. And so contractors have been along for every step of the way in that respect as well. So in the last 20 years, a lot of hard work and dedication from civil servants and, and military personnel, but also from their federal contracting partners. So we like to remind people of that, particularly when we're coming up on such a solemn occasion. Stephanie Castro is Executive Vice President for Policy at the Professional Services Council. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. And during his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, 
We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. 
and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.